CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And welcome in Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, October 30th, the year of our Lord, 2022. You may not realize it, but the final ingredient has been added. As of week nine, college football, you got everything you need. The table is set for a wild November. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a tension-filled downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We got full week nine reaction tonight. I've got contenders emerging all over the place, but a very, very hazy, cloudy, unfinished playoff picture, conference championship picture. We're going to get into all that. Uh, we had some bad things go down in a number of places yesterday. Ann Arbor, Michigan, not the least among them. I witnessed legalized murder in Manhattan, Kansas, just the vaporization of an entire football team. We will discuss also the Every Given Saturday Tour Week 10 destination. Just a few minutes from now will be announced. I've got one early best bet. Do you know that they're watching us in Thickety Mountain, South Carolina? And boy, do we appreciate our friends in Thickety Mountain. Also Garden City, Michigan, Savannah, Georgia, Salina, Kansas, and Baker City, Oregon. It's so important that I make this announcement. I've got to... I've got to uh, lead into it with a paper pop. We're over 140,000 on subs now. So the countdown, our death march to 150 is on. I think that we're going to get there, as does the entire staff, well before Christmas. And so let's go ahead and make that happen. If you haven't already, please subscribe. And when I say that, I literally mean to you guys, whether you're listening on podcast or you're watching on YouTube, the only thing that stands between us and, and really dominating the world in which we live in completely is that. You don't have to do anything that costs any money. Just like the videos and subscribe to the channel. I got a whole lot to get to tonight, so I don't want to waste any time. As you can see, the chalice of supremacy is full of purple liquid. You could call it cowboy blood if you want to, but it is themed after the Kansas State Wildcats. I'm going to talk about that game in just a little while, but man, how about the old big noon kickoff window yesterday? Ohio State 44, Penn State 31. Now, if I were to tell you that score, and you were sitting over here and you watched the game, but someone else was over here and they didn't watch the game, would you be the guy who says, but that's not really the way it played out? That final score is a little misleading. Is it a little misleading? Is it? Because me and I remind you guys one of many famous quotes from Meemaw. And one of those famous quotes, of course, was, quarters can tell lies, but games tell the story. What was the story of this game yesterday? Well, it's, it was first off a weekly reminder that football games are four quarters for a reason. And it doesn't matter if you lead with 15 minutes to go or 12 minutes to go because if you just cough the ball up and then they break the dam open and score like 28 points in six or seven minutes, it doesn't really matter what you did lead by. I thought Penn State probably played as well as they possibly could given the circumstances yesterday. And yet therein lies my point. Ohio State still up 20 and Penn State's driving in what ended up being garbage time. How did this all go down though? Do you remember, oh, about a year and a half ago, I guess, it would have been the spring of 2020. There was, um, there was a national signing day and then there was one big name left out there. And I, want, I just want to take you back. Because at the time, a lot of people asked one question and I want to take you back. I want to take you back to the spring of 2020. National Signing Day comes and goes, and there's one kid left out there. He's the number one rated player in the country, and he takes his announcement past signing day, and he wants to make some visits. And it was the COVID year, so things were all out of whack anyway. And people started asking when we would do segments on that guy on this show, why do you keep talking about him? It's just one guy. Why is it such a big deal? That guy ended up being JT Tumaloa. He committed to Ohio State. Um, let me explain to you what he did yesterday. Six tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, two interceptions, one of them for a pick six, one pass breakup, which led to a tip ball and another interception. 
that was not his October. That was not his 2022 to date. That was his Saturday afternoon. That's why we talked about him as often as we did. That's why you recruit like Ohio State does. Because you never know on any given Saturday or every given Saturday, in their case, when one of those stars, one of those guys, one of those transcendent type athletes, a word that's a little overused, but this performance was transcendent. You never know when you're going to need that. And they needed it yesterday. So they pulled that out of the bag and defense won a game. I want to get to that in just a second. Here's what I'll grant you. Because there's a, there's a whole lot of angles to go at this game from. And I see a lot of you going at it from the angle of, well, Ohio State got lucky or Ohio State got away with one or they, they escaped. Well, yeah, they did escape. And there's some things I'll grant you here. I will grant you that we saw Ohio State bleed. I don't know when anyone suggested they were invincible. We saw, and you're talking to a guy here that's got them rated number one in the country. And yet, even I picked Penn State to cover in the game. So, largely, we got what we expected over here. They bled. We saw some vulnerability. We didn't see Xbox, PlayStation-esque offensive rhythm. Uh, we certainly saw corners give up some big plays. Defensively, we saw them give up some big plays. Tackling was not great. I'll grant you all that. But then, once I grant you that, you got to be quiet and let me have a chance. And you need to grant me that Ohio State still led this thing 44-24 to with six minutes to go. And that really is what I would like you to take away. All the phases in this game count the same when you score. Special teams, defense, offense, it all counts the same. There's a reason why, you know, when JTT makes a play like that and then you end up scoring, there's a reason why they count that as six, just like they count a 90-yard bomb from quarterback to receiver as six. It's a complimentary game. You get to play all three phases. And when you recruit all those elite players, you recruit them to score in some cases. You recruit them to take over games in some cases. So I, before I even saw the way this thing ended yesterday, had so many people texting me. And what they said was, yeah, Ohio State won, but. And I knew what was coming. Because I got to see a little bit of this game yesterday before Ohio, or Oklahoma State started uh, against Kansas State. And I knew what I was going to see. I was going to see a lot of, yeah, o Ohio State won, but. This is the crowd that expects them to win by 50 every week, okay? So totally unrealistic premise, totally unrealistic starting point. Then when they don't meet your unrealistic expectations, you blame them instead of yourself. It's really fun. Sports writers do the same thing. So fans aren't the only one there. But they don't fulfill your expectation level. They don't win by 35. And then you get the haters out there who start to come at you with this little refrain. Now, you probably heard this a lot yesterday. Here's what it sounded like to me. They lost or, or they trailed the same Penn State team that fill in the blank. Got boat raced by Michigan, etc., etc. They didn't face the same Penn State team you've ever seen this season yesterday because Penn State hasn't played at that level all year. And that is the commonality when big-time teams like Ohio State go on the road. You expect to get your opponent's best shot. You get their best environment. It's why... I never get surprised when you see Sean Clifford, for example, throwing for, what did he throw for? Jesse, over 350 yards? It doesn't surprise me because you're getting a one-off performance, essentially. You will not see Sean Clifford play like that again this year. Now, the counter to that is, what do you mean play like that? He threw three interceptions. When you can't run the ball better than Penn State can, that's baked into the risk-reward. In order to throw the ball as many times as they ask Clifford to throw the ball, you're going to put yourself in vulnerable positions and eventually, when you've got guys like Harrison and Tua Maloau on your defensive line, eventually, you're going to have turnovers forced on you. And I want to emphasize the word forced. It's not like you just put the ball on the ground. They weren't unforced. So they were all forced. It's part of the game of football, guys. So then, as I'm fielding all those little complaints, I get another complaint. You're really going to love this one. Maybe you heard this one, too. Quote, I don't know about Ryan Day. This is an actual exchange that I'm going to read you. I'm just not going to reveal the source because you don't know him anyway. Text to me yesterday. I look down at my phone. I see a text. I don't know about Ryan Day, bro. I say, what do you mean you don't know about him? Well, his play calling is a little suspect. And so I respond and I essentially tell this fine individual, he'd, he'd wrap you into an intellectual pretzel less than 10 seconds into a conversation about play calling. But even if you're right, I still don't care. You know what play he called? You know what play I love from Ryan Day? It came after last year, and he called the following play. It sounds a little something like this. We're not good enough on defense. I'm going to go hire Jim Knowles. 
and he did. And now Ohio State's been on the ropes twice this year, week one and yesterday, and defense has won two games for him. Guess who hired Jim Knowles? Guess who called that play? Ryan Day called that play. So I'm fine with Ryan Day's play calling. They've done what it takes to win every game so far this year, and they're going to be a national championship contender. Yesterday was not something that knocked them off of any perch. What yesterday was was a reminder that every team in this sport can bleed. There is no truly transcendent elite team in this game this year. Bama's already lost. Georgia got taken to the wire against Missouri. Georgia's got a big test this weekend against Tennessee. Ohio State's been pressed a couple of times now. That's not a bad thing for you guys out there, the competitive balance crowd. That's not a bad thing. That's the final ingredient. I don't know if a lot of people realized this yesterday. Like I said, you've already seen Bama struggle. You've seen Georgia look a little wobbly. But Ohio State, since week one, you hadn't really seen that from them, had you? Until yesterday. And once you saw that, who else you got out there? You got Michigan out there. They played a one-possession game against Maryland. They, they play a low-margin-for-error caliber of football anyway. You've got Tennessee, who's still kind of new to the party. So even though you don't admit it, everyone thinks they're going to drop a game at some point. Plus, you know they've got several elite teams left to play in their own right. Where is the unstoppable force? Where's that immovable object? It's not there. And so if you want the recipe for a wild November, if you want the recipe for one of the, the more unpredictable stretches from the last few weeks of the season into eventually your playoff, this is it. That was it. That was the final ingredient you needed yesterday. I really don't think people have, let me, let me not say people, I'm trying to get away from saying that. I think there is a, I think there's a chunk of the college football public that has no concept of what it's like to play football on the road. I just don't think they have it. And you don't have to have been in the game. You don't have to have coached. You don't have to have played. It really helps if you go to these events. I mean, maybe I've got a little advantage because I get to go to one every single weekend. But guys, it's so hard to play on the road. In this sport, in college football, it is the hardest thing to do is play on the road and go win on the road. These coaches, these players, when they talk about it all the time, they're saying that for a reason. It's not excuse making uh, because they talk about their home field advantage the same way. It's really, really hard. And then when you get your opponent's best shot, Ohio State took their fastball yesterday. Yeah, they gave up some big plays. They won the game. Defense ended up turning over a game. It flipped. Defense flipped a game they otherwise would have lost in all likelihood. That's a very good thing because that's how you end up winning. You got to have multiple ways that you can win. But the, the Xbox crowd out there, I just don't think grasps this stuff. You, you look at all of this stuff as if it's in a vacuum. You look at those players as if they're robots. And when they don't do everything that a player with that many stars next to his name is supposed to do, that team's flawed. They're flawed. You didn't need to watch yesterday to know Ohio State's a flawed team or Bama or Georgia or anyone. There's no perfect team out there. Right now, the odds to win the Big Ten Championship are Ohio State minus 425, Michigan, plus 400, that's it. Illinois is next, and they're, they're way behind the pack. And that's essentially a line on the game. That's essentially a line on Michigan at Ohio State. Futures market right now has that number between 8 and 12. I don't know exactly where it is right now. Everybody's counting down to it. Everybody's sitting around waiting for it because there probably is not a losable game barring disaster for Ohio State or Michigan from now until then. I thought that it was a game that was not mistake-free, but a game where Ohio State continued to learn a lot more about how many different ways they can win a game. They didn't run the ball great yesterday. Uh, they, they certainly gave up some chunk plays defensively. They also wrecked the game defensively. Okay, and C.J. Stroud made several throws over the middle. There was a little clunkiness to their offense early on. There was a little rhythm imbalance. They had to settle for threes, which was one of the keys to Penn State staying in this game that we talked about. All that happened, and my point is they still won. So I, th I thought it was a good day for Ohio State. Um, someone asked me, what do you make of that for Penn State? I think that they have to dust themselves off and then continue moving on. You know, unless you're going to be of the mentality that, okay, well, now that we can't win the Big Ten, we just fold up shop for the rest of the year. No, you've got to be a competitor. Now, I think the valid question could be, as producer Jesse has been talking about nonstop since he got to the building today, Will we see Drew Aller more? I don't know. I, I, logic would say maybe, probably, possibly. They play Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, and Michigan State to finish off the season. They're a two-loss team. They could be a 10-2 and two team. 
Uh, that's a very, very good year where I come from. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Academy Sports and Outdoors dotted the entire landscape yesterday, even up in Manhattan, Kansas. You look across the parking lot, it's very expansive, it's very flat, so you can see a long way. Academy tents, grills that if they weren't purchased from Academy, should have been purchased from Academy. And it's always a beautiful thing. And I, I guarantee you, if you guys were in Jacksonville yesterday, if you're out in College Station, you saw that scene. And that's the way that life should be. This time of year, but year-round. Because no matter what you need year-round, our exclusive partner, Academy Sports and Outdoors, has what you need to just live your life. You cannot rightly look me in the eye and say I'm living my life to the fullest unless you've been stocked up at Academy Sports and Outdoors. You can live, but who just wants to get by? Get by in grand fashion. This really sounds like ad copy, but it's not. This is not written down for me. Academy Sports and Outdoors came to us, I guess it's been about a year and a half now ago, and they said, we want in, and we want in in a big way. And I said, how big are we talking here? I said, you won't need any other name on that show. And sure enough, we don't need any other name on this show. You don't need any other name in your life. I mean, if you need to go get fish, you know, I don't think that they have a big fish department there. But outside of a few odds and ends, Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for all of your life necessities, especially in the outdoor sporting goods and plus department. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com has you hooked up. I've got several more games to get to. We've got an every given Saturday tour announcement to make in a few minutes, so hang tight. We're going all over the country tonight. <clears throat> Appreciate you guys being tuned in live, by the way. Make sure you like the video. We should already be over a 1,000, so, so click thumbs up, please. I don't want to filibuster. I'm not going to filibuster. It's unprofessional, uncouth, as Colin would say, but let's get those numbers up there and subscribe while you're at it, if you haven't already. Hey, um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you watched Georgia-Florida yesterday? This game was 42 to 20. It was a good day for Georgia. It was a bad day for a lot of us, though. Not because we were rooting against Georgia. Something happened in this game, though. If you were watching it, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, if you weren't watching it and you just saw the highlights, you'll still know what I'm talking about. And I hate when this sort of thing happens. <sighs> Unfortunately, Brock Bauer set off the casual alarm in this game yesterday. Now, what is the casual alarm? Some of you may be new around here. The casual alarm basically is set off when something like Brock Bauer's circus catch yesterday happens. Here's how it goes. A guy that you and I have known about for a long time does something extraordinary that you know is going to make all the highlight reels. It's going to circulate on social media to where the casuals even have no choice but to see it. And then, like clockwork, the casuals try and latch onto it as if it's theirs. And they start talking about this dude Georgia has. Have you seen this Brock Bowers kid? He's incredible. I know, man. And he was, you know what else? He was incredible last year, too. Yeah, but Brock Bowers, what an amazing tight end. Really? Tell me your three favorite games of Brock Bowers. Bro, don't be like that. Watch this play. Casual alarm. Woo, woo, woo. Casual alarm got set off yesterday. So that's great for Brock Bowers. It's great for Georgia. It sucks for everyone else that has to sit around and listen. It's kind of like NFL draft season, you know? When you and I have watched these players for three or four, or in some cases, five years, and then somebody who never laid eyes on them until about three months before the draft started, 
maybe the NFL Combines, the first time they knew anything more than their first and last name, they start telling you what you need to know about the guys that you've watched for the last four or five years. Brock Bauer set off the casual alarm yesterday, and so he should be equal parts proud and ashamed because of what he brought on us. I flew back from Kansas City about 5.15 this morning, and I watched the game on the flight, but I was in Nashville by 7.30, and when I got to my apartment, I started to peruse some Georgia websites. I wanted to see what people were saying about the game. And my suspicions were true. They weren't really saying anything about the game. They were talking about Tennessee. You couldn't deny that this week. There was that feel all week that, yeah, this is a rivalry game. Yeah, it's Georgia's biggest rivalry. It's not their biggest game in the next month. It's not their biggest game in the next half month. Everyone knew that Tennessee game was on deck. They went and took care of business. It got a little close. I would argue it got a little close because they built such a big lead early on. Georgia, here's all you need to know. Georgia ran it 40 times for 239 yards. That is six yards per carry. Georgia stopped the run. Florida averaged, yes, less than three yards per carry. Uh, They were minus three turnovers and still won by 22. So that's a really good day for Georgia. They had a 25-point lead at halftime, and this kind of surprised me. That's the largest lead at halftime in the series since 1996, which is the year Atlanta hosted the Olympics. And your boy hung out in Catala, Georgia, and watched the flame go by. I don't think I ever told you that, Jesse, mainly because you don't care about that. But 1996, a good year. Braves should have won the World Series that year. It is what it is. Uh, But 239 rushing yards, second most since 1996. So how about the throwback to pre-millennium, 1996. Georgia tops 500 yards for only the second time in series history. So it has not been a rivalry. It's not been a series necessarily based on fireworks. But you know what happened yesterday. Florida showed some fight in the second half. Georgia took care of business as a high-level team should do. And they got out relatively unscathed. I know Nolan Smith got injured. Uh, Amarius Mims, I was reading Rusty's update over on Dogs 24-7. It sounds like they escaped disaster there. We'll get an update on him this week. But now it is set. This Saturday in Athens, Georgia, Tennessee, in case you haven't checked the AP poll today, tied at number two. So for our arguments, we're just going to call them number two. Number two, Tennessee, number one, Georgia in Athens. The current odds to win the SEC championship, Georgia plus 110, Bama plus 150, Tennessee plus 450. If you feel like betting Tennessee money line, you might as well just correlate it with a nice, healthy couple of shekels on them to also win the SEC. What a game that's going to be. We'll talk about that more obviously this week and maybe even a little bit later tonight. They're watching us in not Brisbane, Australia, as those of us from Fortson, Georgia would be wont to say. They're watching us in Brisbane, Australia. They're watching us in Louisville, Kentucky, and Bonita Springs, Florida. I wonder if they have a Casa Bonita down there. I don't know. What happened in Ann Arbor, Michigan yesterday? I want to talk about the football game first. So we had Michigan a winner, 29-7 over Michigan State. I have some good news. This is not going to be all negative for the Spartans. They led after the first quarter. But that's the end of the good news for the Michigan State Spartans. It was really, really downhill in so many different ways after that. Michigan closed on a 26 to nothing run. Uh, we had physical assault in the tunnel after the game. No two ways about it. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. There was so little variance in the potential outcome Remember when we were breaking this thing down either Tuesday or Thursday, and I said, some of these rivalry games are unpredictable, and you know the old throw the records out the window adage, which really doesn't apply in rivalry games any more than any other games, it turns out. I know it sounds fun to say, though. Uh, Not this game, not this year, not this game in this year, because of what Michigan could do and what Michigan State couldn't do. And it played out perfectly yesterday. Michigan, 52 carries, 276 yards on the ground. They had about a 5.3 per carry average. They can run the ball. They do it on everyone. And then you got Michigan State. They can't run the ball. They don't do it on anyone. 23 carries, 37 yards. Another abysmal day on the ground, 1.6 yards per carry. If you care about time of possession, which I don't really, but, but this one is pretty glaring, 40 and a half minutes to 19 and a half minutes. Completely and utterly gross. Michigan, I, I am happy to say, is exactly who we thought they were in the preseason. I power rated them inside the top five, told you I think they're a playoff team, told you I think this team may be a little bit better than last year. And sure enough, 
as we about, we're about to enter November, I think they're better than they were last year. And I also think that they still have a month left. Um, they're in ascension mode. They're getting better. And it's not a team that has to improve leaps and bounds, obviously, but there's no team more in touch with their identity. You know, there are, there are some contending teams out there where you're still asking, all right, what's the finished product of us going to be? No one's asking that about Michigan. Look at these rushing stats by game. They're lethal on the ground. Their worst rushing performance this year is, what, the, the Indiana game at Indiana. And I'm telling you, when they had that injury on the sideline, that affected those players that game. Because look at how they responded the following week. They, they would still be running on Penn State. If they did not make them stop playing football after four quarters, they would have gone and gone and gone and gone. So they do it on everyone. They, they are equal opportunity punishers on the ground. The only way, as I see it, to make Michigan uncomfortable and to put them against the wall and to force their hand is to get a lead on them early because no one's done it. You want to see them in unfamiliar territory, put a 10-point lead on them. I had Jesse go look. I said, hey, what's their biggest deficit this year? Four points. It was yesterday when they trailed 7-3. to three. That's the biggest deficit that Michigan's had all year. They are a very, very good team. They're a very dangerous team. They can win the national championship. I don't know if people realize that. Michigan, Tennessee, like some of these teams that have not been in that game in a long time, this particular year, where everyone has shown vulnerability, those teams can win the national title this year. Michigan can win the national title this year. It is in the cards for them. Mel Tucker did not have a good day yesterday. Michigan State did not have a good day. Mel Tucker at Michigan State. In his entire tenure there now, this was a pretty surprising stat to me. Maybe it shouldn't have been, but he's been outscored by 197 points in Big Ten play. Over that same span, only Rutgers has been worse. And that's with a great season baked in last year. I, I breathe a sigh of aggravation, maybe, because it seems like it's the same thing every week. They've allowed 27 points or more in each of their last six games. That ties a school record for all the wrong reasons. Let's talk about this postgame scene. I know a lot of you have seen this. Uh, some of you may not have. I mean, there was straight-up assault in the, in the Michigan Tunnel. Now, you remember last year, I'm going to show you this first, if you're Listening on podcasts, just picture about a 10 or 11-on-1 assault of a Michigan player. Um, I don't think I'm being too hyperbolic there. And do we have the other one, guys, or do we just have this one? Okay, well, what we can't show you is also, I think, a Michigan State offensive lineman just going to town, wailing on the back of a Michigan player's head with a helmet. Again, pure physical assault. Th this will be something that police get involved with. This will not be just an edict handed down from Mel Tucker, and he has spoken on this today. Uh, he denounced it. He said all the right things. Ward Manuel and Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, they, they've said they've spoken like they know we better keep our mouths shut because this is a legal matter. And I was there last year when Michigan played Ohio State. There was a lot of jawing in the tunnel, and I put that video out a couple of weeks ago. Penn State, I think it was Penn State and Michigan, just a little jawing in the tunnel. That right there was physical assault. No excuse for it. I mean, I had some people ignorant enough as to say, well, they, sh they shouldn't have a stadium constructed like that. And Wikipedia tells me they've played football in that building for a long, long time. And unless they've just kept all this under lock and key, kept tight wraps on it, I, I don't think that we've had folks being bloodied in the tunnel there every other week. So the stadium construction has been a constant. There's probably another variable in play there. Now, if you do want to come to me and say, procedurally, things should be handled a little different, entering and exiting the field, I'm fine with that. I kind of said the same thing last year myself. But that was, that was a pretty ugly scene. So I think that Michigan will, will be nothing but bolstered by it. Uh, but Michigan State is having a very, very tough year here. And Michigan State plus 23 does end up cashing. So congrats to anyone who had that ticket. Michigan's a really good team. A really, really good team. Whew. All right. I, th I think we responsibly handled that. Now, you know what time it is? Well, first, we have to take a sip of the purple liquid here. Still not named on the show because they still not have bought advertising with us. Paper pop. You know what happens Tuesday? Tomorrow, if you're listening to the podcast version, they're going to they're gonna release the playoff rankings on us, you know? 
And we are a national college football show, or at least we call ourselves that. So I had a, a long heart-to-heart with myself on the flight back this morning. How do we handle it? You know, we're, we're regular season first and foremost around here. Do we do a playoff preview? Do I show you what I think about the upcoming playoff rankings? And you know what I decided? After some long, hard thought, immunity, I decided, yeah, we do need to do a playoff preview show tonight. I'm going to tell you everything that I think right now about what's going to happen Tuesday night when the first playoff rankings come out. I got my notes in front of me, Jimbo Fisher style. And so here we go. Don't care. I mean, it could not care less about the playoff reveal Tuesday night. In fact, we'll be on air. That's how little we care about the playoff rankings. We'll figure it out when the time comes, but that time is not going to be Tuesday night. So you guys have fun. Text me if you want to. DM me. Let me know how it goes. We'll be over here talking about the regular season because we got a really good one going down. Next game, please. Imagine a show like us talking about the regular season. How dare we? Ole Miss beat Texas A&M last night, 31-28, to and I didn't get to watch the game live. I watched the replay already. I listened to some of the comments, and speaking of comments, I had several of you, including one of you in the airport this morning, say, oh boy, I bet you're going to have to spend a lot of time talking about Lane Kiffin's comments tomorrow night, won't you? And I said, well, not nearly as much time as I'm going to spend talking about him hanging 390 on the ground. That's the story of the game. Quinshawn Judkins had like a Derrick Henry day yesterday, 34 carries for 205 yards. People around Auburn, Alabama, by the way, rightfully asking why Brian Harson and his staff never extended that kid an offer. I think that's probably a question that will be moot in due time, but this was another performance on the ground that was insane. They, they ran it for 448 on Auburn a couple of weeks ago, didn't run it worth anything against LSU, and then they come back and hang 390 on Texas A&M yesterday. For Quinshawn Judkins, that is the most carries for an Ole Miss player in a football game since when? How far back do you think we have to go to find a kid carrying it 34 times in a game? Try Deuce McAllister in the year of our Lord, 1999. Bradley, were you even born? Yeah, Bradley's pretty old. Uh, This was a monumentally important game for both of these teams for for varying reasons. Ole Miss needed it because they were coming off a loss. I mean, that thing stung the way they lost at LSU. They needed to stay within striking distance. They need to keep the Alabama game with SEC West implications on it. And as it stands right now, that's what that game is. Now, Bama has still got to play at LSU this week. Remind me who Ole Miss has that they're on the bye. So it sets up very well. Lane Kiffin knows what he's got right here. They got through that thing. They've gotten through this stretch. They've only got one conference loss. Bama's got one conference loss, TBD this Saturday. But they know they're going to be rested, and they got Bama coming in there on a back-to-back road stretch. And it could be, it could be for the SEC West. As for Texas A&M, strange though it may sound, I thought this game was more important for them than Ole Miss. Uh, But I was thinking in terms beyond just this season. There's a lot of mess around the Ole Miss program right now, and or around the A&M program right now. There's a whole lot of mess around that A&M program. There's a whole lot of talk about internal dysfunction and turmoil and whatnot. And my whole take on the game was, even if that's true, there are some guys there who are immensely prideful. There've got to be guys in that locker room who are ready to take ownership of the program and the team. And if there was fight left, you'd see it. Well, look, you don't necessarily have to win the game to show fight. They played a really good team. They got beat by three. That was the point spread. But they showed a lot of fight. And that's a relief because if if Ole Miss would have won this thing 38-10 to and you saw a team mail it in, you would have catastrophic issues to deal with out there. Because at that point, you would be dealing with a team that really had quit. And you're in a conversation no one wants to be in at that point. So that did not happen. A lot of fight out of that team yesterday. They quietly had the best offensive day they've had all season. We saw Connor Wegman, the true freshman, a kid that Jimbo Fisher told us he thought was the best quarterback in the cycle this last time around. 28 of 44, 338 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Did you think that we were going to see an A&M quarterback have that kind of stat line at all this year? No, I didn't. And so Wegman puts that up five yards per carry yesterday 
for Texas A&M. It was the most pass yards for a true freshman in Texas A&M history. So, if you're going to bank on the future, which is really your only option at this point, that's a game that you can use. That's a game that you can harness a little bit, even in a loss. And when you get to December, January, February, when you're starting to look ahead, you're starting to look at games like that. You remember that game we lost, but, but Wegman, really, 28-44, 338-4 touchdowns, no interceptions. Yeah, that's the kind of game that if we have the better complementary pieces around him, that's the kind of performance that we can ride to a 10-2, and 11-1 season next year. Yeah, you absolutely can. Don't think it can't turn around for them like that. It absolutely can. Having said all that, I do have something to say about Lane Kiffin's comments. I just wanted to wait until the very end. So, as you know, there was this, there was this big what should we say, a dust-up. There was a big dust-up between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher this past summer. And Lane Kiffin was never going to let that happen without inserting his name. So you got, you got Saban in the middle of the screen, and you got Jimbo in the middle of the screen, and then Lane Kiffin's face comes in on the side of the screen, and sure enough, he ends up being part of the story. And the good part about that is, it's fun to talk about, the other good part is, they all have to play each other. So Jimbo and Saban already played this year although they never played a snap, as far as I could tell. And then you had Lane versus, versus Jimbo yesterday, and afterwards, Colin, let's roll this sound. Yeah, I mean, I don't give you coach speak, so yeah, that's real. I mean, most coaches say you know, say no, but yeah, that's real. And someone attacks you personally and, you know, calls you and my good buddy Coach Saban that were both clowns, um, you know, you take that personal. So, glad we won. Do you see the hurt in Kiffin's eyes there? And you can tell that's a man that wasn't so offended that something was said about him. But when you attack his good buddy, Coach Saban, his words, not mine, that's really when you get, you get under the skin of a Lane Kiffin. Real talk here for a second. If I can be real for a second, I had someone tell me today they can't stand Kiffin. I said, why is that? It's not that you couldn't possibly have reasons, but I wanted to know specifics. And they said... I can't stand it because he's so fake. And look, you can hurl some allegations at Lane Kiffin, but I don't think fake is one of them. Now, you may not be able to discern a little playful acting and maybe you know some pre-rehearsed lines in a post-game setting from fakeness. He's, not, he's actually one of the most authentic guys we have in the league. There is some fake. I don't think Lane Kiffin's one of them. I, I actually think what you see is kind of what you get from him. Now, you may not like what you get, but just say it that way. Don't say he's fake. He, if, what would you want other than a guy who kind of just says whatever he means? What, just says whatever he thinks. I'm not going to complain about that. You know, the same people I have found that complain about folks like Kiffin are the same ones that complain about coach speak and about coaches not giving you any access. They won't really tell you what they think. Well, you may be one of the reasons why more coaches don't tell you what they think. I don't want to cast aspersions because you know how rarely I use that word. But just think about it. Just marinate on it. What do I really say about this next game, Colin? You enjoyed this yesterday. I know you did. <sighs> Tennessee painted the walls with Kentucky's blood last night, 44-6. This is what really, really good teams do. They're in a spot where history tells you you got the big look-ahead game coming up against Georgia. You got a Kentucky team that plays a diametrically opposed brand of ball to yours. You could get yourself into a slop fest, and instead you just run it up on them. And the 44-6 final is indicative of what a team in ascension mode does. There are a lot of elements. I want to be very careful, so I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying here. Just hear what I am saying. There are some of the same themes with this Tennessee team as we saw with the 2019 LSU team. What did they hear me say there? I know what they heard me say. Look, one of those themes is that team kept getting better and better and better every week. They looked less and less and less beatable every week. Played some close games early on, most notably a three-point game. I was in Tiger Stadium when LSU barely beat Auburn, and then they end up being one of the best teams of all time. So I don't know what, I don't know what the rest of the season has in store for Tennessee. There are some rapidly improving facets of this team that have rendered games like this one yesterday that, you know, for other teams in normal years may be a little treacherous, completely irrelevant. It was not even a contest yesterday. Excluding Clemson, and this is a stat from Director Collin himself, excluding Clemson, the ACC has four wins. 
against AP top 25 teams. The whole conference, the entire ACC outside of Clemson, four wins against AP top 25 teams. Tennessee now has five wins against AP top 25 teams. There were padlock stats up and down the stat sheet. You can take your pick. Will Levis, 3.6 yards per pass. Not good. 98 total yards passing for Will Levis. Oh, by the way, against that extremely leaky Tennessee secondary, you know, the one that can be had by anyone at any given time, not so much yesterday. Kentucky minus three turnovers, probably not going to do him any favors. Kentucky was 2 of 13 on third down. So here's the million-dollar question as we enter into Tennessee-Georgia week. How good is Tennessee? They're about an eight-and-a-half-point dog this week against Georgia, for those who haven't already checked the lines. I mentioned the LSU 2019 themes. Remember what happened with that LSU 2019 team. They had a quarterback in Joe Burrow that just rapidly matured and ascended into a historic player. You could, you could describe Hooker like that. But I think I remember the most about that LSU team, what they ended up becoming defensively. They were not a good defensive team at the beginning of the year. And they ended up becoming a very opportunistic defense. Dave Aranda was the coordinator down there. And they ended up becoming a defense that when you paired it with that offense, very important to note there, was plenty good enough to win a national championship. Again, the book is still to be written on this Tennessee team. I'm just saying they held Levis. Levis is a good quarterback now. This is not the best Kentucky offense in the world. It's certainly not the best offensive line in the world. But they held him under 100 yards passing yesterday. Uh, 205 total yards allowed. That's the, that's the fewest that they've given up in the SEC since 2008. So some pretty good numbers put up by Tennessee. Now, you could just tell me Kentucky is that bad a team. Maybe so. I would suggest that there could be another factor in play here. I think Tennessee is becoming a lot better defensively. Again, this is the week. This is the week. Tennessee at Georgia. Obviously, we're going to have a ton to say about it. But Georgia opens as of game week now. Georgia's an eight-and-a-half point favorite. You could have gotten like 12 or 13 last week in some of the markets. But now your game week line is out, and it is eight-and-a-half. Colin, is it time? Yeah, it's time. Let me take a sip. Hold on. This is a big week. Budrick told you it's not a big week last week. No, 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 no. It's a big week. So don't you dare get caught shopping on Saturday afternoon this week. The Every Given Saturday Tour is headed to Athens, Georgia, Saturday. I deliberated because there's another big game in Baton Rouge. We are not missing two versus one. Here's the slate. It's a good slate this week. Clemson at Notre Dame, actually, I thought we were going to go to in the preseason. It turns out that that's not the case. Texas at Kansas State, I just came from Manhattan. If I go back up there, Texas will get beat to death. I think that it was my fault what happened to Oklahoma State yesterday. We got Bama at LSU under the lights Saturday night. Tennessee, Georgia, number two versus number one. How could we say no? And let me remind you, I grew up in Georgia. And let me also remind you, Georgia's home schedule sucks most years now with the way the schedule rotates. So they are one of the best teams in the country, and yet we hardly ever get to go to Sanford Stadium. I don't know. It's been several, it's been like two or three years since I've been able to go to a game there. And it's their fault because they're too good. So there aren't a lot of competitive games. And, and it's the rest of the SEC East fault too. Whew, you talk about all-time environments there. The 08 Alabama game comes to mind. That Notre Dame game at home a few years ago comes to mind. Randomly, the Arkansas game last year I thought was incredible. And it was a noon kickoff. This will be as good as you've ever seen Sanford Stadium. It's 3.30 Eastern kickoff. It's the SEC on CBS game of the week. The crew will be there. We'll be there. Cannot wait. Finally, have a reason to go back to Athens. We look for it, guys. I'm telling you. I mean, I, I have every motivation to. I'm from there. We haven't had a way. We haven't had a reason. Now, we got a reason. We're headed to Athens this Saturday. This could be the game of the year. On the marquee, certainly it is. You don't get number two versus number one most of the time until you either get to Atlanta or, more specifically, the national championship game. And yet, here we are. We'll have so much more to say about this game Tuesday night. Full breakdown coming. This is going to be one of those game previews where I can tell we're going to go over 20 minutes, but it warrants such a preview. All right. Um, as competitive as I think that game's going to be, I oh my goodness. <sighs> I got to be careful with my words here because I reasonably could be deposed after what I witnessed yesterday. Just the total annihilation of a team. 
a, a vaporizing. Oklahoma State showed, well, let me rephrase. People wearing Oklahoma State uniforms show up to Bill Snyder Family Stadium yesterday. I'm jacked. I'm excited. It's the Big 12. Anything could happen. Here comes Mike Gundy into town. He's a one-and-a-half-point dog. They're 14-2 and two in their last 16 games against the spread as a dog. <laughs> Annihilation. Totally destroyed. From the jump, Kansas State starts their backup quarterback, and Will Howard just reigns all over Oklahoma State. There's not much I can say. The whole stat sheet's a padlock stat. Kansas State will never play a better football game this year. Top to bottom, just a complete dominant effort. And so I want all the praise in the world that we can heap on Kansas State to go to Kansas State. They are a true player in the Big 12 championship race. They were before yesterday. They certainly are now. Their only loss is to TCU. And by the way, the odds in the Big 12 right now, you got TCU up there as the favorite in the conference. Kansas State's right behind them. So we could be on our way to a rematch in the Big 12 championship game. TCU is a plus 130 favorite to win the conference right now. Kansas State plus 220, and then there's a huge drop-off, and then it's still Oklahoma State and Texas, three and four. I went to Mike Gundy's post-gamer yesterday. I wanted to know what he was going to say. Plus, I knew they would play Chris Kleiman's in the stadium so I could hear it. Mike Gundy admitted something yesterday. I know most of you did not listen to this. I'm not going to play the sound for you, but I was pretty surprised. You don't really hear many coaches make this admission, even if it does happen. He walks into the media room, and he says, I got to be honest with you guys. I did something this week in our practice that left us totally unprepared to play a game today. And he wouldn't specify what it was. And a couple of minutes later, someone pressed him and said, what was the thing that you did? He said, I don't want to get into specifics, but I was worried about our depth situations at a couple of positions, and it affected the way that I structured practice. I think what he's saying is he took players that were healthy and held them out of practice. That's what I think he did this week. And he said, I'll never do it again. It was a monumental mistake on my part. I've never done it before. I thought it was the right thing to do. I was wrong. And uh, certainly that contributes to the final you saw yesterday, if that's the case. But man, his entire team should have been able to go to Cabo Monday through Thursday and do better than 48 to nothing. So this was a Kansas State thing. That's not an Oklahoma State thing. Kansas State completely uh, shredded them, splattered them all over the place for three and a half or four hours. And again, all the talking points going into it were, ooh, can Adrian Martinez play? Credit him, by the way. Chris Kleiman said in his postgame, I talked to the quarterbacks before the game, and Adrian, to his credit, said, I'm not confident I can do what you need me to do today. So they went with Will Howard, and Will Howard, uh, as it turns out, could do the things that they needed him to do yesterday. They are a team in ascension mode. They are a team with a coach that should be talked about nationally, with players that should be talked about nationally. We're certainly doing our part here. I got to hang out with some of the folks around there Friday night. Had never been up there before. So had a really fun time. Man, they, they, got, some, they got some features in the weight room there at Kansas State. I, I don't, I, it's not my place to tell. You can watch the videos if they've ever showed it. But man, I could live in that place. They've just got some really unique facets to their weight room that I have not seen anywhere else, and I've toured a lot of them. So I loved the trip to Kansas State. Really great people. It's not their fault. I mean, they, they did their part. The other team, not so much. So congratulations to Kansas State. That is a serious, serious program on the rise right now. USC beats Arizona 45-37, to and Jordan Addison did not play in this game, and Mario Williams did not play in this game. I think Gentry, the linebacker, was out. They had a lot of guys out. Even coming off the bye week, they were banged up, had a lot of guys out. And yet Caleb Williams, all he did with his top two receivers out was throw for a career high. I think it, it was at least a season high, 415, five touchdowns. They were 11 of 17 on third down. Got totally shafted at halftime and still ended up winning. Dude, officiating in this game multiple times in USC games this year. And I hope those of you on the peristyle see the anger in my face as I am defending your honor. They think I hate USC. Um, what in the world is happening? Look, if there is shoddy officiating out there, isn't Southern Cal supposed to get all the breaks? And they got, I know they filed the proper reports, but I mean, my, I, I credit Lincoln Riley. I would have been arrested for how I acted at halftime. 
if they did to Pate State what they did to Southern Cal yesterday. They still won the game. All's well that ends well. They had eight plays of 20-plus yards, so the explosive column was full for them. They have got Cal, and they've got Colorado, and then they go across town to UCLA, and that's the end of Pac-12 play. Then they end with Notre Dame. So they are on pace, potentially, to be in the Pac-12 championship game. We shall see. Their only loss at Utah. And so it's going to be a fun race to the finish there in the Pac-12. <sighs> I don't want to do this next one, but we got to do it. <clears throat> you know, the calendar, the calendar says, oh, it hurts. The calendar says October 30th, but October came to an end one week early. Missouri, 23. South Carolina 10. I want to talk about investment with you for just a second. Not like a J.G. Wentworth sort of thing. I'm just saying if you decide to invest 23 plays of your offensive output into running the ball, 23 carries, and you put up 32 yards, probably not going to be good enough to win you a football game. South Carolina 1.4 yards per carry yesterday. It just wasn't good. Now, if you watch Friday Night Lines, you saw us go 4-0. But if you watch Friday Night Lines, someone asked me about this game. And I said, I'm not betting it. The model likes Missouri. And I think what we're seeing there is the model interpreting South Carolina's win over Kentucky and South Carolina's win against A&M as unsustainable. They count, but there weren't contributing factors to those games that really carry over in a predictable fashion. In other words, nothing that happened in those games signaled that, ooh, South Carolina's about to get on a roll the rest of the year. And, and it was right. They, they're not. The games count. So good for them. But they're pretty anemic offensively. I don't think the program's anemic. I think the offense is anemic. And I'm pretty sure I'm saying what I want to say clearly enough without, without being mean. Because we're not a mean show. It's just that sometimes things need to be addressed. And I think they will be. Not right now, but I think they will be. And They'll probably be better for it. Missouri had four sacks, 11 tackles for loss. Good for the Missouri Tigers. Just, you know, some of us believe in Cocktober. And, and Cocktober disappeared really, really quickly last night into the abyss. Oregon won a game yesterday that was very underrated. 42-24 to 24 was the final. This is an underrated win. It's the same theme as Tennessee yesterday. Tennessee and Oregon were both in spots where just a pretty good team would struggle. And I don't know that they're elite, but they're a little above pretty good, or they're playing more than pretty good ball right now. Oregon, I cannot emphasize enough how big that UCLA win was for them. That, that program has been flying nine miles high all week. They had to go on the road, and it should have been tough to get that team back this week. And Bo Nix had three through the air. He had three on the ground. They have won six of their last seven by 15-plus points. They are the favorite. The Oregon Ducks are favored to win the Pac-12 now. In fact, they're stretching that number. They're minus 110. USC is next at plus 300. UCLA next at plus 450. Who does Oregon have left? This is not the easiest stretch in the world. Uh, they do have, I think, Colorado this week. So, they, yeah, they got Colorado. They go there. And then listen to the trio of games that they close with. Washington at home, Utah at home, and then they head up to Corvallis. Those are three very, very tough matchups. So, it's a good thing they're playing the kind of ball they are right now. They're going to need that because they can win all those games, but every one of those games is losable too. TCU continues to be the favorite. They continue to set the pace in the Big 12. They beat West Virginia yesterday 41-31. to They had four plays of at least 50 yards, 494 total. TCU has allowed one second-half touchdown in the last three games. So I know there are some people watching the show who think halftime adjustments are just a smidge overrated. And maybe they're right, except in Fort Worth, because something they're doing in the locker room with that 20 minutes they give them has second halves looking a whole lot different than first halves. Sonny Dykes is the first Big 12 head coach ever to start 8-0 in his debut season. And he just had to move across town to do it. The Big 12, I continue to say, absent the game I attended yesterday, the Big 12 is the most entertaining conference of college football this year. I mean, how, how can you watch these games if you're, if you're watching it through the proper lenses? You know, if you, if you don't watch the intro to yesterday's game where you have a certain network out there trying to convince you that don't believe what your eyes are telling you, TCU is not really all that much of a playoff contender, don't listen to that garbage. 
Just, I know they're trying to force feed it to you. You don't have to eat it. You're not three. These aren't string peas. You can resist. Resist that sort of thing. Just watch this team for what they are. They're undefeated right now, firstly, and they've got a string of games coming up. Texas Tech at Texas at Baylor, Iowa State. Whoever tells you TCU is not a playoff contender is lying. However, whoever, Hoopstever, Hoopstever is also talking about the playoff right now, probably just needs to be muted. Just enjoy the games. Just, just we'll get there. Mid-November, we'll get there. We start talking about it, but good for Sunday nights, good for TCU. Now, the reason I wanted to be so effusive in my praise is because I think Texas Tech's going to cover against them this Saturday. Ramen Noodle Express, early best bet. Texas Tech plus 10. Number's going to come down. It already has at some shops, but 10 is still available. And so we're going Texas Tech plus 10. Uh, some of you have speculated that I need to save all the picks and give them out Friday night. Our Friday night lines picks are hitting at 71%. We gave out four of them last week. They were 4-0. and Yet it doesn't make any logical sense. You want to get ahead of the line movement. So I don't really know what's happening with our Friday night lines magic, but I strongly suggest you following at Late Kick Josh, because I only do that on Instagram Live. <sighs> what a week we have coming up. What a week. And I'm not talking about the playoff reveal on Tuesday. We have got, as I said, so many teams that are in the thick of it right now. In fact, you think about some of these teams that other seasons would have already written off. And because we have Ohio State a little vulnerable yesterday, Bama, Georgia, they've already looked vulnerable. Bama's lost a game. We got Tennessee and Georgia Saturday, so one of them is going to lose. There are teams, more so than normal, that I would suggest are still very much in that playoff picture, and not just the playoff picture, the real national championship picture. Don't, don't convince yourself that just because in most years it's not possible that it couldn't happen in this year. It absolutely could. In fact, I would argue we may be a little more wide open. Now, here's what we're waiting on. And I think Alabama's the team that's going to do this. Uh, Ohio State could be the team. Georgia, any of these teams could be that team. I think there's some team in that group there that's going to crank it up a little bit in November. Now, if Bama's going to do it, Saturday would be a really, really fine place to start because they have looked extremely beatable on the road. They've already lost a game on the road. Their next two games are on the road at LSU, at Ole Miss. So if, if the theory around here, the working premise that Alabama's about to kick it into another year is true, well, that's when you'll see it because you're running out of time, if not. And that brings me to my next and final point. This is a very, very precious time of year because you're in October still. Think about this. Yesterday was a Saturday in October, which touches September, which is the month the season started, but yet, also, this coming week, we will be entering the final month of the season. That's why it's always a very, very tricky time of year in October. Because you feel like you've just settled in, but then also, you can see the finish line. I mean, we will be watching games played in snow this next month. We may be at some of those games. So, enjoy it. When you want to know why we don't really pay attention to the countdown to the national championship games, because we'll get there soon enough. I'm in no hurry for November to get through. Trust me, in no hurry. Appreciate you guys watching. We have explosive growth on the show. That's because of you. Recognized coast to coast because of you. So let's continue to tick those numbers up. How quickly can you get us to 150,000 subs? Because after that, it's just on to a million. So how quickly do we get to 150? I think pretty quick. I appreciate you guys so much. Big preview show coming up Tuesday. New JP poll. Got a ton to talk about. Don't miss it. Until then, for producer Jesse, director Colin, I'm Josh Payton. Have yourself a great rest of your evening. Take care and God bless. This is Sandra Herrera from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golazo Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the Winter Transfer Window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more. 
Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We're in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.